Thank you, choir. I must be doing something right as a parent because the second that children's talk was over, my daughter went straight for the moon pie. <laughs> Don't know if you noticed that or not, but I thought she was going to say hey to Miss Deborah, but she pointed right to the moon pie <laughs> that she was holding. <laughs> Said, I want one of those. So, hey, I'll mark that up as a success. Success in my book. Um, thank you, choir, for a reminder of the importance of the church. Church is uh, an institution designed by God, uh, centered on Christ. Um, scripture places a very high definition, gives us a very high definition of the church, places very high value on the role of the church in our lives as individuals, the role of the church in the grand story of God's plan of salvation and redeeming the nations. It is the church that is the bride of Christ. Can you think, can you think of a, of a higher position that a human being could be given than to be called a part of the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, 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 cannot, I can't think of, of, of a greater thing that I would ever want to be than to be a part of the one that Jesus loves so intimately that He would call us His bride. And it's not a bride that has come after him, but it's a bride that, that has really rejected him, and he has come after us, his bride, at great cost to himself, pursuing us in his love, reaching down, coming down to live among us in our sin and in our filth, such a perfect, spotless groom. And seeing us, even as we were rebelling against Him, God's Word says that even as we are sinners, Christ died for us. And He redeems us. And He breathes new life into us. And then He exerts great effort in, in, in giving us His Spirit to begin molding us into the, into the type of bride that He wants us to be. And that type of bride is a perfect, spotless, blameless bride. And so He brings us to a place of salvation by His grace. And then He gracefully points out sin in our lives. Gives us the, the, the strength that we need to resist temptation through the power of His Holy Spirit. Grows holiness and blamelessness in us. So that at the right time, whenever that time is, and, and, and only the Lord knows, we will, as the church, be presented to Jesus as the spotless bride to be married to Him for all of eternity, enjoying, enjoying the, the goodness and the pleasure 
and the beauty of that most intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. I don't, I don't know about you, but I love the church because Jesus loves His church so much that He died for His church. And there's no, there's no group of people that I want to belong to more than the group of people that God calls the church, the bride of Christ. So often, church is kind of low on our list of things of importance. Even, even as people that believe in, in, the, in, the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, sometimes, sometimes, I don't mean in every case, and maybe not in your case, but sometimes church kind of gets uh, secondhand treatment. But the church never gets a second-hand treatment in God's Word. And so it's so important for us to have a high view of what the church is. To think good thoughts about the church. To think biblically about the church. It's good for us to want to see healthy churches all across our community, across our nation, across our world, around this globe. We want to see healthy churches. And if you'll recall, maybe you can remember remember back this far ago. I can't hardly remember what I did yesterday. Uh, But this time last year, okay, so we're going back a whole year ago. This time last year, uh, we we worked through a a series of messages um, that I just called Healthy Church. Healthy Church. And we looked at several different marks of a healthy church. Um, there's a pastor in Washington, D.C., by the name of Mark Dever, and um, he, has, he has spent a lot of time just thinking about the church and, um, and has written many books, and one of those is called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And these, he would say the same thing. These things aren't exhaustive. This isn't everything that should be going on in a church. These are just um, nine things that he saw are kind of missing in a lot of churches, and if they're not there, it's really going to be hard to have a healthy church. And so This time last year, we began a series called Healthy Church, and we looked at each of those marks and and, and studied passages from God's Word that helps us understand the importance of these things in the life of the church. But not only is the church the bride of Christ, the church is also called what? The body of Christ. And Jesus calls His church the body. And He is the head. He's the head of the church. Well, just like with our human bodies, our body is made up of many, many different members, right? We have fingers and toes, we have hearts and lungs, and we have legs and, and, and feet and hands and, and noses and eyes and ears. There's, there's many parts that make up our body. The same is true in a church. You as an individual are not a church. Church is made up of members. And together we constitute a church. And so in order for a church, which is made up of many members, to be healthy, it only makes sense that we would say those members must be healthy. And so as we looked at last year, healthy church, just kind of from a, from a standpoint of the church as a whole, what we want to do uh, for the next several weeks is we're going to walk back through some of those same, um, same uh, aspects of what a healthy church is, but look at them from the perspective of you and me as individual members. Because if you and I as individual members aren't spiritually healthy, then the church as a whole 
won't be spiritually healthy. For instance, when I have a cold, sometimes you have colds, right? You have a cold, your nose is running, right? Maybe your throat hurts. Well, that doesn't really affect my foot, right? But it's right for me to say I'm sick. Now, is every part of my body sick? No, just my nose is running and my throat hurts. Maybe I have a little headache or maybe a big headache, depending on how bad your cold is. But because those few parts of me are sick, my whole body is sick. So it's right for me to say I am sick. Zach is sick, even though it's just a few members that aren't operating correctly, aren't functioning properly. The healthier our members are as individuals, as individual members of a church, the healthier the church is as a whole. So that's where we're going to go the next several weeks. We're going to think about what does it mean to be a healthy church member? Me as an individual, what does it mean to be a healthy church member? And so today we want to start with um, with mark number one, if we want to, if we want to call it that. I don't mean mark out of the Bible, but the mark of a healthy church. Mark number one, which is an expositional listener, an expositional listener. And we'll talk about that word expositional in just a moment. Um, this corresponds to the mark that we looked at in our first sermon of last year's series on healthy church, which is expositional preaching. But now we're thinking about it from each member's standpoint. So we want to think about expositional listening. Now, maybe you've heard this saying before, um, as you're turning in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, you finish this statement. I think you know it. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. You can't make it drink. Now, my role as pastor, one of the main things that I'm called to do, we'll talk about this a little bit more, is to, to stand before you and to declare God's word to you. And I don't mean every word that comes out of my mouth is God's word, but I proclaim this to you. I proclaim this to you. Now, I can do that, and I can do that till I'm blue or red in the face, whichever one comes first. But the one thing I can't do is I can't make you listen. I can't make you do that. That's a choice that you have to make. Now, before you start throwing stuff at me, I'm not calling you a horse. Okay? All right? I can, I, I can, I can, I can lead you to... The, the nourishment of God's word, but I can't make you feast upon it. I'm not calling you a horse, but I will call you sheep, because that's what the Bible calls you. All right. In fact, I'm a sheep too, and the Lord is our shepherd, and yet he has called pastors of churches to be under shepherds, shepherds under his authority to help lead the sheep entrusted to their care. So my role is to lead you to the springs of life, that we call the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures, and your role in the preaching moment is to actively listen, to actively listen. Now, when we think about this word exposition, expositional preaching or expositional listening, I want to say, what, what does that word mean? Well, let me try to put it as simply as, as I can. Think about the word expositional. It comes from the word expose. When I stand up, if I preach expositionally, then what I'm doing is exposing to you the meaning, the true meaning of a certain passage of Scripture, whether it's one verse or 50 verses, but exposing the meaning. So in my preparation, I'm going to dig into Scripture to try to figure out what the author meant, what Paul meant as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit as he's writing Galatians. 
Alright, that's what we've been studying for a while. What Luke meant as he wrote the book of Acts, being inspired by the Spirit. I want to expose that and then deliver that meaning to you. Not whatever meaning I want to deliver. Not, not whatever meaning I say, ah, oh, I kind of think it means this. No, what does God mean in this passage? And that's the meaning that then I want to give to you. The main point of the text becomes the main point of the sermon. Now let's think about it from your perspective as you're listening. What does it mean to listen expositionally? It means that you're actively listening for what the text of Scripture is saying, not what you want it to say, not necessarily even what you've heard it said, but what is the Bible saying? You're actively listening for that and searching the Scriptures for that so that then you can actively apply those truths to your life. So actively trying to listen for what the point of this passage is and actively thinking then, how does that apply to my life? Now we're going to look at this passage of Scripture, verses 1 through 15, and we want to see in here an example. We're not going to look at every verse here. We're actually only going to look at a couple of verses, two, three, three or four verses here in, um, in this uh, account of Paul and some of his uh, traveling companions at two different cities. And we're going to see uh, an example of expositional preaching and expositional listening. I'm going to go really quickly through the expositional preaching part, and I'm going to spend a little bit more time on the expositional listening part, the example that we see here. Once we see this example, then I want to give you five essential attitudes of your heart that must be true of what's going on in your heart if then outwardly you're going to listen expositionally. And then we'll finish uh, with just some practical tips, okay, for when, you, when you're sitting here, what, what are some things that you can be doing so that you can get the most, not necessarily out of what I'm saying, but the most out of what God is saying in his word, okay? So an example from Acts, five attitudes of the heart, and then just some practical tips. Okay, you ready? That's where we're going to go uh, for the rest of our time uh, today. Let's look at this passage. Let me set some context before we read it. This is the book of Acts. Jesus has come. He's died. He's risen. He's ascended back to the Father. The church has started. And now the church is sending people with the gospel out. And the gospel is spreading to, to different lands. Paul is one of those main missionaries that's being sent out. Specifically being sent out from the church at Antioch. It's a church that's uh, many miles north of Jerusalem. And so now, at this point in Acts, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's already gone on his first journey where he went to the region of Galatia. That's, that should be familiar to you, right? The region of Galatia. Um, and then he comes, comes back, gives a report of what happened, and then he goes off on his second missionary journey. We're going to pick up kind of in the middle of this journey. He's already revisited the cities in Galatia. He's gone across to the other side of Asia Minor. He tried to go up north. But the Spirit of God closed the door there and sent him across the Aegean Sea over into what is now modern-day Greece. And so he begins in Greece in the city of Philippi. That's what we read about in, in Acts chapter 16. After he leaves there, he heads to a city called Thessalonica. And that's going to be in verses 1 through 9. And then verses 10 through 15, he leaves Thessalonica and goes to a city called Berea. Okay? So here in this passage, Paul is going to Thessalonica and then Berea. Let's read this passage, and, uh, and I want, as we read, I want you to think about the role that the Scriptures play. The role that the Scriptures play. 
Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. It seems, Paul's there, it seems that the house of Jason is where Paul and his traveling companions were staying. All right, pick back up, verse 6. And when they could not find them, talking about Paul and his companions, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. We're not going to talk about that today, but we could spend a lot of time talking about the power of the word of God um, right there. Pick back up in verse 8. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Okay, Paul's right there. So Paul, city of Thessalonica, he goes, he preaches the word of God. We'll talk about those couple of verses in just a minute. Some people believe, lots of people don't like it, lots of the Jews are mad and angry. They cause an uprising in the city, and basically they run them out of town. Now what happens next? Verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night. It's a dangerous situation, right? They send them by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews, notice this, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowd. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Heavenly Father, would you speak your truth? into our hearts through this passage of Scripture today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You see the storyline? You see what's happening? Paul goes to Thessalonica. He preaches to them. Some don't like it. Some believe. Some don't like it. They run him out. Then he goes to Berea. He preaches to them. We get a description of the, of the Berean Jews being more noble than the Jews at Thessalonica. We'll talk about why that is. And then they basically end up having to leave there as well. Okay, that's kind of the whole story in a nutshell. But let's start with this. Let's start with this. I want you to notice first how the role of the preacher centers on the Word of God, on the Scriptures. And this is the one I'm going to go through pretty quickly, okay? But we kind of got to say something about the preaching part if then we're going to understand the listening part. Notice back in verses 2 and 3 and really into 4, we get a description of what Paul as the preacher, so to speak, did and what he said and what was at the heart of his message. So preaching that honors God, number one, accurately explains the original meaning of Scripture. 
Preaching that honors God accurately explains the original meaning of Scripture. Notice there that he says on three days, he Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to serve. Here's what Paul did. He opened up the Bible or the scroll, maybe, and, and to, the, to the Scriptures, which would have been the Old Testament, and he read them and he explained them. He didn't come in and say, hey, hey, Thessalonians, I've got... I've got Five, five tips that will give you a better life. He didn't do that. He said, you know what? I, I've just been spending a lot of time with the Lord, and the Lord has spoken to me, and he told me to tell you A, B, C, and D. No. He opened up the Word of God and explained the meaning to them. That is true proclamation. That is true preaching. It's not my opinion. It's not anyone else's opinion. It's explaining what the Bible says. This is expositional preaching. But once he accurately explains the original meaning of Scripture, then he clearly points to the gospel as the main point of Scripture. He clearly points to the gospel. Notice what he does. He opens up the Scriptures. And again, this is the Old Testament that he would have been opening up where we never even see the word or name Jesus in the Old Testament. And what does he do? He explains and proves that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So he clearly is pointing to the gospel as the main point of all of Scripture. True expositional preaching will clearly point to Christ. No matter where we're at in God's word, from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus will be the the main point. The, the ultimate main point, because he is the main point of all of God's word. Accurately explaining the meaning of, of Scripture, clearly pointing to the gospel as the main point of Scripture. But then third, he passionately calls people to believe in Jesus as revealed in the Scriptures. You see, it's not enough for the preacher to say, here's some information. One of the things that God calls those who proclaim God's word to do is to seek to persuade, to seek to call those who hear the message of the gospel to respond in repentance and faith. And we know that he tried to persuade them. He didn't just come to them saying, hey, I have some interesting information for you. I have some fun facts about Jesus. I have some fun facts about the Old Testament. It was, it was more than that. It was, here's the truth of God's word. And it points to Jesus as the Messiah. And now you need to believe in him. Notice that it says that he persuade, that many were persuaded. That Paul was seeking to persuade them to believe what he was saying. This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. So it's a passionate call to people to believe in Jesus as he is revealed in Holy Scripture. Now, this is the role of the preacher. We have a great example here of what should happen every time someone stands up and opens the Word of God in the act of preaching. This is expositional preaching. But I don't want to spend too much time here. We spent more time on this when we talked about this mark of a healthy church last year. What I want to do now is move on to the act of expositional listening. Expositional listening. I don't know if you noticed, but Luke writing the book of Acts, went out of his way to make a comparison between the Jews at Thessalonica and the Jews at Berea. 
It's an interesting comparison. It's kind of why we have to look at both of these passages together. Paul goes and he preaches and just says a few of them believe. But then he goes to the next city, to Berea, and it says that those Jews were more noble, more honorable than the ones at Berea, excuse me, at Thessalonica. Well, why was that? Were they smarter? That's not what the text says. They have more money, so they were more noble and honorable. That's not what the text says. The thing that made the Jews in Berea more honorable or more noble than the Jews at Thessalonica is the way they listened when Paul preached. Notice, skip on down to verse 11. Now the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They, meaning the Jews in Berea, received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So we've seen what kind of preaching honors God. But now let's ask this question. What kind of listening honors God? What kind of listening to preaching honors God? Well, first thing that we see here is that listening that that honors God eagerly receives the preacher's message from Scripture. Eagerly receives. Notice what this passage says. They received the word with all eagerness. Here's what that meant. When they went to the synagogue that day, which is a a building where they would have gathered to learn from the Old Testament Scriptures, the, the Hebrew Scriptures, they came hungry. I don't mean hungry wondering how long was it going to take Paul to preach so that they could go get something to eat for lunch. That's not the kind of hunger I'm talking about. They came hungry to feast on the Word of God. It says they received the teaching with all eagerness. They came excited. They came ready to learn from God's Word. And the first thing that we must do when we listen, if we listen in a way that honors God, is to be eager in our reception of the, the spiritual food that is, that is presented before us. I wonder if you came in today eager to receive God's Word. Probably, if we're honest, we could all say there are at least some Sundays some, some, some Sundays that we're not really eager, right? I, I'm, I've been there too. I'm, I'm putting myself in that, in that boat. Sometimes we're not really eager. We may be eager to get done. We may be eager to do what we had planned the rest of the day. We may come eager to see somebody, to see a friend, and that's a good thing. That's a good, we should be eager to see one another. But, but do you come, do you come in today eager to receive the Word of God? First thing, receiving it with eagerness. The second thing, listening that honors God carefully examines the words of Scripture. This is a this is this is probably one of my I don't know, I have lots of favorites, so I'll just say it's one of my favorites. Just put it in the big group of all my favorite scriptures, all right? I've got lots of favorites. You probably do too. I, I love this. I love this. Because they didn't just receive whatever Paul said and say, Well, Paul said it, it must be true. They gladly listened to him, but then they examined the scriptures themselves. They went to God's word and they said, all right, he has preached this to us. Now let's see what the Bible says for ourselves. 
see, lazy listening just sits and listens to whatever the preacher says. Active listening says, let me see what's there in the text. Here's what he's saying. Let me see where it's here, where, where it's at. Do, do my, my understanding, not just what he's saying, but what the text is saying. And I want to look at it myself. We're so blessed to have copies of God's word. Right in front of us, if you remember to bring it. And so we have no excuse not to look down and see what's there and examine it for ourselves. Even to go home and examine it for ourselves. I wonder when the last time you carefully examined a passage of Scripture that the preacher preached. You examined it for yourself. Listening that honors God eagerly receives the message, carefully examines the words of Scripture but then it doesn't stop there. You know what happened? You know what happened when, when these people received with eagerness, examined the Scriptures? They believed. Many of them, verse 12, therefore, that means in light of hearing the message preached and in light of examining the Scriptures for themselves, many therefore believed. And we know what happens when we believe the words of God. He changes us. He changes us. There's a transformation that happens. But they didn't stop just with learning information. They went the next step and they believed. And so we need to wholeheartedly believe the truth of Scripture. We eagerly receive, we carefully examine, and then we wholeheartedly believe what God says to us in His Word. You really haven't listened well to God until you've taken the step of believing what he has said. So let me give you two definitions, and then we're going to look at these five attitudes. And they're pretty simple. But let me give you these two definitions. You ready? We kind of looked at this. Let me give you you a clear definition of expositional preaching and a clear definition of expositional listening. Expositional preaching, preaching where the main objective is to rightly explain the original meaning of the text and then how it impacts our daily lives. That is my goal when I get up to preach God's word, is to convey to you as best as I can with the help of the Holy Spirit, the original meaning of the text, and then to ask this question, so what does it mean for us today? How does it apply to our lives? How does it apply to us today? This original meaning, how does it change who we are today? That's expositional preaching. Expositional listening. Listening where the main objective is rightly examining the text being preached while actively considering how this text should be applied to my life. Let me read that one more time. Expositional listening. Listening where the main objective is rightly examining the text, that is the text of Scripture being preached, while at the same time actively considering how this Word of God applies to my life. Now, I want to give you some some tips, okay? Just some practical tips that I think may just help when it comes to listening well to the Word of God. But before before I just give you some, some, some practical things, we always have to start with the heart. I was talking with my wife about this uh, last night, and I was talking about this passage and what I was going to be preaching on today, and, and uh, she just, she reminded me, and I was thankful for it. I told her, I said, I just hadn't thought about it in those words, that, that what comes out of us always starts with what's inside of us. 
And so if the attitude of our heart is not right, then we're not going to take these practical tips that I'm fixing to give you in just a moment and actually do them. We have to have the right attitude of the heart. So let's, let me just give you these five things and, um, that, that are, are the attitudes of the heart that are behind a right listening. These are the things that will under, underlie, uh, be the foundation of right listening. Maybe you're sitting there going, man, I really, I really am, I'm, not a, I'm not a listener like this. I mean, I come and I kind of pay attention, but I'm not like actively examining, carefully examining the Scripture as Zach is preaching. I'm, I'm not really doing those things. What, maybe why, why am I not? Well, it could be that these attitudes of your heart are not present. Number one. Listen with a heart of submission. They're all going to, all five of these are going to start with this, this phrase, listen with a heart of. And I'm going to put one word at the end, okay? Listen with a heart of submission. That's number one. Here's what I mean by that. You've got to believe that God's word is God's word, that this right here is the word of God, and because it is the word of God, it has the final authority in your life. Nothing else comes before God's word as far as telling you who you are, who God is, and what he expects of you. If what you find in God's word contradicts with anything else that you're already believing to be true, and you have to make a choice between what you're already believing or what someone else has said and God's word, God's word always wins out. In other words, you always submit yourself under the authority of God's Word. If you don't believe that God's Word is God's Word and that it has the final authority in your life, then when you come in here and I stand up to preach and I say open up to whatever passage, then you're not opening up something that you think is authoritative in your life. And so why, why pay close attention to it? But if you do believe that the Word is the Word of God, just as Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and where he said, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It is the very words of God. If you believe that, then when I say open up your Bibles to this passage of Scripture, you know that you are opening up a book that is the final and ultimate authority in your life. And if you believe that about God's word, you're going to carefully examine the scripture to make sure you know what's there so that you can rightfully apply those things to your life. Listen with a heart of submission. Number two, listen with a heart of expectation. Listen with a heart of expectation. Here's what I mean by that. You've got to believe. There's got to be this. If you're going to listen well, there's got to be this underlying belief in your heart that God's word is alive and active and thus is God's tool for change in your life. So how does God want to change me? It's through his word. His word is living and it is active. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is alive and active and it actively penetrates deep inside of us, exposes our sin, breathes grace and love and forgiveness into our hearts and lives. It changes us. If you don't believe that God's word is active, you're not going to expect any change to come in your life out of studying God's word. 
However, if you believe that God's word, like he says his word is, is alive and active, and it is God's tool of change in your life, then you know what's going to happen when you open up your Bible, whether that's sitting in your home, whether, whether that's sitting around the table at your home, whether that's sitting in a Sunday school class, or as we're talking about today, whether that's sitting here during the preaching time, you will open that Bible up with an expectation that God is going to change you. In some way, in some way, you're going to open God's Word up with an expectation of change. You know what? If that's your expectation, God, I'm expecting that you're going to use your Word to change me. That will change how you listen. You'll listen a whole lot more intently. You'll spend more time examining the Scripture that is being preached. Listen with a heart of expectation. Number three, listen with a heart of humility. Listen with a heart of humility. Well, why do I say this? Because there's no way that you're going to submit to God's word as authority in your life and expect and even want him to change you if there's pride in your heart and you think you already know it all. It's just the truth of the matter. If you come into the time of preaching thinking that you have it all together, there's no sin to be exposed in your life, there's no thing that you're not doing that God wants you to do, then that pride is going to keep you from listening well. Hear what God says in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. When was the last time I trembled at the Word of God? When was the last time you sitting here heard me say, open up to Galatians chapter whatever? You Just somewhere deep inside you, you trembled just a little. But this is the Word of God. We come with humility in our hearts. Number four, we listen. With a heart of acceptance. Number four and number five go together. And they kind of balance one another out. So hear me out on number four. But hang on to it. Because we're going to kind of balance it out with number five. Listen with a heart of acceptance. Here's what I mean by that. You've got to have this underlying belief that certain men have been called by God to teach God's word to the church. And thus should be listened to with grateful acceptance. Paul says to the Ephesians. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Part of listening well. Is coming in to a worship service, opening up your Bible and then. Being thankful that there is someone who God has called to preach the gospel to you. And going ahead and having an, if, if you believe that this person has been called to preach the gospel, if you don't, you don't think this person is rightly teaching God's word, then you need to get rid of them, right? I'm talking about myself here, okay? You don't, that, you don't need to sit under that person's preaching. But if you think that this person is someone who God has called to be your under-shepherd, so to speak, to shepherd this flock and to preach God's word, then you kind of come in with a, with a, 
assumption, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to balance this in just a minute, assumption that he's going to preach to you correctly, right doctrine from God's word. So you don't come in, you'll see a little bit more what I mean at point number five. You don't come in with this attitude, well, Paul said that, I mean, these, these Jews were noble because they examined the scripture to make sure what Paul said is accurate. So every Sunday I ought to come in assuming that I'm going to, I'm going to hear a wrong doctrine preach, and it's my job to sit there with the Bible and, and, and point out everything that's wrong because I'm already assuming that everything I hear is wrong. No, if God has called someone to pastor, to be the preacher here at Southside, then you kind of should. If you can't have this attitude, you need to get rid of me and find somebody else that you can have this attitude with. You kind of have this attitude of grateful acceptance. So I, as, you, as I open up my Bible and say, turn to Galatians chapter 3, you turn and your expectation then is that I'm going to proclaim to you the truth of God's word. And you're thankful for that. But then let me balance that out with number five. You listen with a heart of acceptance, but at the same time, you listen with a heart of discernment. You listen with a heart of discernment. The underlying belief that must be in your heart, if you're going to listen well and examine the scriptures, is that you must believe that all believers, not just me, I'm not on some higher level of spirituality than you are just because my role in the church is a pastor. All believers, Scripture tells us, have been filled with the Spirit of God. And every single one of you who have trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, because God's Spirit fills you, you have the obligation and you have the privilege and you have the responsibility to learn Scripture for yourself. And so you have the responsibility to make sure that what I am preaching is accurate. That's why I said four and five kind of balance one another out. If we take this too far, then you might come in every week just with this skeptical attitude. Oh, I got to, it's going to be bad today. I got to make sure that, I got to make sure that he preaches what's right, you know. And you got to kind of have to come in with a bad attitude already. That's not good. That's not good. You want to come in assuming that I'm going to preach to you truth. But at the same time, I'm human. I'm human. And so you have an obligation to make sure that whoever is teaching you is accurately teaching God's word to you. It's called in our doctrine of what we believe as Christians, the priesthood of all believers. Every one of us, every believer is equal in God's sight in the sense that we all have the spirit and we all can listen and learn from the spirit. And you have just as much right as anyone else to come to me and say, I, I, listened, I listened to what you said today and I examined the scriptures. Can you explain to me exactly what you meant? Because I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing that here. That's a good thing for you to say. That's a good thing because you're rightfully examining scripture. You say, I, I don't see what you're saying and I want to make sure it's true. That won't offend me one bit. In fact, I'll be encouraged by that because I'll know that you're listening well. You're examining Scripture. But you listen with discernment. Okay. Those are the five attitudes of the heart. Now, let me just give you some practical tips and we're going to wrap up. Okay? And these are, I'm trying to be as super practical as possible. Okay, you ready? 
You ready? Practical tips. These aren't going to be on the screen, okay? But if you want to jot them down, you can. Most of them are pretty easy to, re- to remember. Practical tips. If you have this, this attitude of your heart, here's some things that you can do. Before the preaching ever starts, let's start there. Getting ready for the act of listening well to God's word being preached. If you know the passage that's going to be preached the next week, um, you could go ahead and be reading it in advance so that you're already familiar with the words that are there. That's one of the benefits of studying through a book of the Bible, just like we did with Galatians. You know what's coming next, pretty much. I might throw a curveball every once in a while, but you pretty much know what the next passage of Scripture is going to be when we preach through a book of the Bible. And that will be the main main way that I preach here at Southside, preaching through books of the Bible. So you go ahead and you start studying that passage ahead of time. You go ahead and you try to decide for yourself, what's the main point of this passage? What do I, what do, what do I think the main point is? What's Paul trying to say here? What's... what's um, uh, I just looked at you and almost said Elijah's trying to say here because I was thinking of an Old Testament. <laughs> but, but yeah, what's, what, what's Elijah's point here? In, in, not your point, Elijah in the Bible, all right? Um, what, what's, his, what's his point here? What, what's Isaiah's point? What, what is the point of this author of Scripture? You go ahead and you try to decide that for yourself. You go ahead and write down questions that you may have about this passage of Scripture. See if they get answered in the time of the preaching. You pray ahead of time. Ask God to help you in understanding and applying the passage well. If you don't mind, pray for me as I get up to proclaim God's word. You get you a good night of sleep. It's hard to listen. It's hard to listen if you fall asleep the whole time, right? I'm I'm guilty of that as well. Sometimes it's hard for me to stay awake while I'm listening to myself preach. You know what I mean? Don't get a good night of sleep. If you don't get a good night of sleep, it's gonna it's gonna be tough. But 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 I'm not just trying to be funny. I'm I'm being Really, if you're if you're just wiped out, and some Sundays it's like that. But if you're just if every week you come in here for this time, and you've stayed up half the night looking at all the football highlights from the day before, you're not ready to listen well. Mentally, you're not ready. You may be here physically, but mentally, you're somewhere else. Here's a pretty novel idea: bring your Bible. If you're going to do this, you've got to have God's Word in front of you. Make sure you have it with you. And then let me say this, leading up to the time of preaching, participate in the other parts of our service. One of the things that should be happening from the moment that we start a worship service is that God is preparing your heart for the moment where we open up God's Word and seek to understand what is there. One of the things that I'm so thankful for, it's not a thing, it's a person, one of the people I'm so thankful for here in our church is our director of music, Lori. She does a fantastic job. She didn't ask me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. She puts a lot of time and energy into picking out songs that will prepare us for the passage of Scripture that I'm going to preach. Probably notice that. If you haven't, you haven't been paying attention to either the songs or, or what I've been preaching, okay? Did you notice that the songs that we sang today were all about the Word of God? Right? Wonderful words, beautiful words, wonderful words of God, right? That wasn't just, that wasn't an accident that, that song, that we sang that song today. She knows what I'm going to be preaching 99% of the time. Again, sometimes I throw a little curveball in there, but she, she knows. And she works hard to pick songs that will prepare our hearts 
for the preaching of the word of God. But you know what? It doesn't benefit any of us if we sit there like this during the singing. Or even if we open our mouths and sing but aren't paying attention to the words. All of these things to help you get ready for that time of preaching. Let me give you the last few real quick. I'm going to go quickly. I know I'm taking a long time. During the preaching, what are some things that you can do? One, get rid of any distractions that are within your power to get rid of. Turn off the phone. Turn off the notifications on it. If you're using if you're using a digital Bible, just make sure it's fine. Just make sure that all the other notifications are turned off. You can do that. Your phone has the ability to do that. Make sure the highlights from ESPN or your fantasy football or a family member texting you or an email isn't popping up on your screen the whole time. Turn those things off. Or just bring this and turn your phone off altogether. That'd be maybe a better thing. Open up your Bible to the passage. Follow along as the passage is read. You ready? This is this is this is expositional listening. It looks like this. You ready? I'm gonna model it. All right. I'm sitting there listening to a preacher preach. Got my Bible open, and this is what expositional listening looks like. Maybe not quite that. <laughs> Maybe a little more distance of time in between those motions. That's what expositional listening looks like. You're examining the scripture as we go. When I say, notice in verse 4, your eyes ought to go, verse 4. I'm serious. I'm being very serious. That's what expositional listening looks like. We are actively listening. Maybe it means taking notes. Not everybody's a note taker, and that's fine. But maybe it means taking notes. I've got something right here. I'd be glad for you to look at afterwards. It costs about 10 bucks. I'd be glad to order anyone that wants one. One, if you give me $20. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that was a joke. Uh, Ten, ten bucks. I think that's what it is. Uh, ten bucks. It is a it is a it is a notebook that is designed for taking notes during a worship service. So if you do that and want something that'll help you do that better, this would be a great resource. If you don't take notes and you say, I might want to try to jot down a word or two during the message, this is a great. It's a, it's not just blank pages. It actually has a place for you to write the the sermon title, a place for you to write the scripture, a place for you to. Blank place, just write whatever you want to write during the, during the sermon, whether it's one word or 50 words. And, and then a place that has some, some questions that go back during the week and ask yourself some questions about what you learned in that passage of Scripture. It's a great little resource. be glad for you to look at it after the service, and I'll be glad to order you a copy of it. All right. Last but not least. Expositional listening doesn't stop when I say, let's pray and close the sermon out. Expositional listening continues as you think about the passage during the week, continue studying the passage during the week, and talk to others about what God is teaching you in this passage during the week. And if any questions still remain about that passage, asking me or other people, what your questions are so that you can seek to understand what that passage is saying. Here's great places to do that around the dinner table on Sunday afternoon where you say, hey, what did you learn in that passage of Scripture today? 
What did you learn? Maybe ask your kids that. Ask your wife. Ask your ask a friend. Ask your husband. Ask a grandparent. Ask your parents if you're a child or if you're not a child and you're eating with your parents. Ask somebody, hey, what did you learn in that passage script? That discuss it. You know another great time to do that? Wednesday nights. I know some of you very faithfully help with our children's ministry and youth ministry on Wednesday nights. So you're not able to be in here. And I'm very grateful for all of the many people that serve in those roles. But if you don't have a, a, a responsibility of teaching or serving on Wednesday nights, when we gather together here on Wednesday nights, I'm saying this because not many of you don't come on Wednesday nights. And you may have a good reason for that. But if you don't have a good reason, you should come because you know what we do? We talk about what we're learning in that passage of Scripture for Sunday morning. And you have an opportunity to ask questions. And that's all. sometimes on Wednesday night, someone will say, Hey, Zach, I did not understand that word you used. Maybe this Wednesday night, somebody's going to say, Zach, what in the world does the word expositional mean? Why do you got to use big words like that? And it gives me an opportunity to say and explain again. It's a great opportunity to be here and to continue studying this passage of Scripture. Let me close with this. My main responsibility as a pastor or an under-shepherd is to provide for you a full and healthy meal each week. To you, the sheep that God has placed under my care, the members of this church. It's my responsibility before God. And He will hold me accountable for that. But He'll hold you as a sheep responsible for taking the meal Tasting it, chewing on it, swallowing it, allowing those nutrients of his word to to penetrate your life. And then spending the next week serving him so hard because you've got all these nutrients from this message from God's word. That you come back the next week all drained from serving him, ready to be filled back up with another meal from the word of God. Expositional listening. When this is happening in the lives of members in a church, there's a really, really, really good chance that that church is going to be a healthy church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to stand here. I thank you so much for your mercy and grace and calling me to do something that I know I cannot do on my own. And Father, I thank you so much for these beautiful people. Father, on the inside and out. Father, that are here and love your word. Father, it's such an encouragement to me. Heavenly Father, I I pray that you would help all of us grow in listening to your word well. Father, I, I pray that you would help every member of our church to be committed to being present so they can hear God's Word preached. And they'll be committed to actively listening to Your Word, examining Your Scriptures, Father, because that's where, that's where change happens in our lives. Father, I thank You for, for their love for me. Father, I feel so much Thank you for the relationships that we share. Father, I pray that this time each week we set aside for me to stand up 
and preach Your Word. And for, for them to actively listen to Your Word being preached. That it would be a beautiful time each week that we look forward to. Where we see change happening in people's hearts and lives. Where we see people growing in their walk with You. Where we see people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Father, it's not because of any of us that that will happen. Ultimately. Because your word is true and it's powerful and your spirit is present as your word is being proclaimed. Father, help us to put these things into practice. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.